Annabelle Bishop is Investec's chief economist. She joined Investec in 2001 and has worked in the macroeconomic and econometric field for over 20 years. Annabelle is the holder of the BUILD Economist of the Year title for 2010 and has won numerous Reuters Econometer Awards for correctly forecasting a range of economic variables. She has authored a wide range of in-house and external articles published both abroad and in South Africa. Before joining Investec, Annabelle was an economic analyst at Econometrics, providing key macroeconomic research and specific project work to a variety of clients across South Africa, as well as running the firm's econometric model. She holds a cum laude master's degree in, e in economics and econometrics. Please help me in welcoming Annabelle Bishop. Hi, can I have my presentation up? I'm going to be taking you through the macroeconomic outlook for South Africa, but before we do so, I think it's quite important we look at the global economic outlook and what's happening currently. As you're aware, South Africa's economy has seen substantially slower growth. Indeed, this has been since 2011. The concern is that it's got to the point where the credit rating agencies are reassessing us in terms of our perceived credit worthiness and obviously looking to potentially drop our ratings. We'll go through what that means later in the presentation. But at the moment now, just to be aware that we're not the only economy who is globally seeing a slowdown. And indeed, a lot of it is predicated off the back of the slump of the commodity cycle. But we obviously also have seen a substantial deterioration in global trade volumes and industrial production, as demand has sunk quite considerably. So I think if we have a look at the first slide, I've got some bullet points <coughs> up for you, which really give you a sense of what is actually happening in South Africa. But these cyclical issues aside, having a look at the institutional factors, South Africa does remain very well ranked. So I think the bottom line is we do deserve our investment grade credit rating. We have had it affirmed very recently by Standard & Poor's and Moody's. Tonight, however, Fitch will give us their interpretation. Some of the factors which show we deserve a investment grade credit rating clearly is the fact that we are very well regarded from a private business sector perspective globally. Not only are we ranked highly in the world for our auditing and reporting standards, our JSC and the soundness of our banks, but indeed this also extends to the efficacy of our corporate boards and a number of other factors as well which are in the presentation. It's quite important to note our financial services sector is very sound. We didn't experience a financial crisis as occurred globally in 2008 and 2009, although we did have the economic impact. And this does allow us to have high liquidity and be a key player in the global bond markets. And indeed, that's what the credit rating agencies are looking at, the perceived credit worthiness of our bonds, or in other words, are we able to pay back? So the International Budget Partnership's latest open budget also has got good news from the point that we have a very transparent budget. It's easy to interpret what's going on in our government finances. However, we obviously have seen some deterioration on the back of weaker economic growth, and we now need to return to stronger finances, or in other words, fiscal consolidation. Certainly, this graph shows you that the deterioration economic growth I talked about at the start has become more marked in recent years. Indeed, the global environment is very unsupportive for a commodity exporter. And that is quite important for South Africa because it also impacts us in terms of the RAND. 
The concern is we may enter a technical recession this year. Many commodity exporters have. We've already seen our industrial sector, which is our mining, manufacturing, electricity sector, as you know, remain in recession since the middle of last year. Structural improvements in South Africa would see us reap fast economic growth, and indeed the weakness of economic growth in South Africa is one of the key reasons why the credit rating agencies are reassessing our rankings. In 2016, we have seen a closer working relationship with government and business, something that was quite extensively um, evaluated by Standard & Poor's in its recent assessment, and it's one of the reasons why they decided to leave our ratings unchanged at investment grade. These slides over here give you a clear indication of the deterioration economic growth that has afflicted emerging markets globally and commodity exporters to China. So you can see that those countries who export commodities to China have been quite substantially impacted. What's happening in China, for those of you who don't know, is that the country is undergoing a rebalancing, moving away from a manufacturer and industrial giant. It likely will stay an industrial giant, but it wants to balance its economy and become more services orientated. So not remain focused only on industrial production, but obviously have a more balanced economic growth outlook, which is less impacted by global demand shocks, and hence obviously move towards increasing its services sector. Further graphs would show you the deterioration in global demand. And as you know, South Africa is a small open economy, so it is obviously automatically impacted by these events. Indeed, event risk, as you know, remains a key feature for South Africa this year. If we have a look at what's actually been happening in financial markets, I'm sure you're aware that in mid-January we saw the JSC drop quite substantially. The RAND reached 17 to the US dollar. And indeed, we actually saw the worst sell-off in equity, debt, and, bond, and, and commodity markets since 2009. And that's quite key, because it shows you the impact of economics. On a macroeconomic basis, your IMF, OECD, the World Bank, all of those key institutions revised down global growth forecasts in that period, so in mid-January, and it had a severe knock-on effect to the markets. In fact, what these agencies are pointing to is the possibility of weak economic growth that actually persists. And the worry certainly is that if we fall into this type of secular stagnation where investment is lacking and therefore new firms and businesses, new employment prospects are not created, you tend to be in a slowdown for longer. And that's what markets are recalibrating early in the year. So for those of you who are interested, the macroeconomic changes are here. You are welcome to my presentation afterwards, so long as it's PDF'd. But I think if we have a look at the next slide, we get a clearer focus on what's happening in South Africa. And this is really a worry for us. As you're aware from the earlier slides, we saw economic growth drop from above 3% to what could likely be 0.7%. That's not acceptable for the credit rating agencies if it persists. If we continue to have economic growth skirting close to zero, an economy that's stalling, not only does it make it difficult to collect revenue, but it means your fiscal ratios, government debt as a percentage of GDP, your fiscal deficit or your expenditure revenue mismatch as a percentage of GDP, will become a lot harder to achieve from a budget focus. So you can see that there is this weakness in growth that's translated through from what's happening globally. Domestically, we've got a severe drought. And that really means that our primary sector is likely to remain in recession, agriculture and mining. 
and leach through into the secondary sector, which, as we said earlier, includes manufacturing and electricity. And this is concerning because today we get the GDP numbers for the first quarter this morning, and unfortunately there is a possibility we might get a slight contraction. To give you a sense of where we sit in terms of the credit ratings, you've probably seen this before, here are our rankings. When you drop from triple B to double B, obviously then you fall into speculative grade or sub-investment grade. Okay, we'll unpack that a bit later. But having a look at exchange rates, I certainly want to draw your attention to this scenario graph, a scenario table over here, which really graphs the differences that we can expect going forwards. And what's quite important to note from a risk aversion perspective is that we've actually been fluctuating between risk on and risk off quite significantly in financial markets, both last year and this year, meaning that we actually have tended more towards the down case at times than the expected case. And that actually shows you in the RAND forecasts. The concern certainly is that while the RAND is averaging close to 15 RAND to the US dollar, and of course you're aware the Fed came out quite dovish recently, the concern going forward is that if we do see Fitch break the mold and give us a sub-investment grade rating um, tonight, then obviously we could move more into the down case. And that's really the point. The down case is your risk scenario. You can see we've got more credit rating downgrades. And there's something as well to bear in mind in terms of local and hard currency ratings. So your dollar-denominated debt that government issues, your hard currency rating is your country benchmark sovereign rating. Your local currency, interestingly, we have over 90% issuance. So our secondary bond market is composed mainly of the local currency rating, which is why it's important for us, is not your country's benchmark. So that's really where the risk lies. Your extreme down case for completeness purposes has a very low probability, but you can see that's where we lose both our country ratings. So talking about commodities earlier in the presentation, you can see that all commodity currencies have seen severe depreciation, be it the Australian dollar, the Canadian dollar, the New Zealand dollar, the rand against the US dollar as well. All experiencing a depreciating trend on the back of the fall in commodity prices and the slump in demand for commodities. Something to be aware of though is that the daily turnover in the RAND is 25 billion US dollars. It's very high, we're incredibly liquid, we're actually a proxy for risk. We're one of the most liquid emerging market countries. In other words, what I'm saying to you is when things go wrong, people sell the RAND, or when you are in a risk-off environment. And you can see that not only are we a risk, emerging market currency, we have a risk proxy, we are also a commodity currency, and we are speculated in also because of our commodity status. So when commodity prices fall, you would also tend to sell the RAND as well. So the RAND is in a bad space for a number of factors, and I think that does make sense to you when you see this depreciation. Indeed, I've grafted for you here the fair value of the RAND, which is also known as its purchasing power parity, or what it should be, is currently close to 10 RAND. You can see the actual RAND value, the turquoise line, is far removed from this. There have been periods before where purchasing power parity and the actual value of the RAND are far away from each other, and they have come back. You can see that in the emerging market crisis of 1997, which lasted from a RAND, or which leached into a few other crises, but eventually caused the RAND to be divorced from its PPP value for over seven years, was a significant period that we lived through. In fact, in that period, the RAND was at 13. 85, and that was very far divorced from 6 Rand to the dollar. With PPP at the moment of close to 10 Rand, you can see that we've been through this before. 
The question is, do we come back? And you can see fair value does depreciate every year from this best fit approach I've modeled since 1985 to about maybe about about 4% a year. So if we come back in about 2019-2020, perhaps we'll be closer to 12 Rand. But the bottom line is, do we come back? And what would make us not come back would obviously be a structural change if we actually lost our credit ratings from an investment grade status, both on the local and the hard currency front. Lastly, on the domestic currency, you do see the volatility index I've created in the spaghetti graph, which does show you that all emerging market currencies have been severely afflicted. But South Africa has been afflicted the most. If you take out your failed states, such as Argentina, Brazil, and a number of other countries like that, leading us to understand that indeed we do have a very high reflection of risk. And that's why the RAND does tend to get sold off when things happen elsewhere in the world. For example, when we had issues in Russia and other geopolitical threats. So from a purchasing power parity basis, we're on a long-term perspective, the RAND does come back to fair value. You can see that we have obviously looked at this return in the currency on a strengthening trend. And of course, you did see the RAND pull back somewhat this week when S&P affirmed our ratings. Perhaps Fitch does that tonight, and we seek more currency strength. Okay, so we also have got full scenarios, but we won't go through these now, because I think we're very short of time, because we started so late. If we have a look at inflation, in our reserve bank, we obviously have got the imperative to keep an eye on inflation, and that's inflation targeting, keep it between 3 and 6%. Most recently it went to 7%, so we failed in that perspective, but it's important to see why it moved out of target, and more importantly, what it's expected to do in the future. Indeed, the Reserve Bank changes interest rates not because of what inflation is doing now, but because of what it's expected to do in 6 to 24 months' time. And from that perspective, you can see that if inflation is likely to come back in target, they can cease hiking. Interestingly, the Reserve Bank both makes its inflation forecasts and reacts to them as well. So that is something to bear in mind. But the bottom line is inflation has been higher on the back of the drought. In 2009, we actually saw a severe drought once again, and droughts come around quite regularly in South Africa. We are a very dry country. In that period, we saw food price inflation reach 30 to 40 percent. It was a worry because inflation itself spiked up quite substantially to 13 percent. So well above the 3 to 6% target, and much higher than we've experienced this year. There was also the threat of recession, and I think you recall that we obviously had the financial crisis in that period, and the RAND saw substantial weakness, and there were substantial portfolio outflows. All of these translated into risk for South Africa, that in that period the Reserve Bank decided to see was more weighted towards growth, and it cut interest rates significantly. This time round, we face many similarities, but a different monetary policy paradigm is being followed, and we've had interest rates hiked by 2% since 2014. The risk is that we see this hiking trend continue at a time when the economy is now sinking below 0%. So there's a strong possibility today's GDP print will come out negative, as we said earlier in the presentation. From a frog curve perspective, the money markets are looking for higher interest rates this year of 50 basis points, possibly another next year as well. This forward rate agreement curve is not always accurate, but certainly we can expect higher than lower interest rates. The Reserve Bank is exceptionally hawkish, 
And the worry that we have is hiking interest rates into a recession will obviously intensify economic growth weakness and also intensify the likelihood of a credit rating downgrade. Because the agencies will reassess us every six months. So the threat is not passed. In December they will look at us once again and judge whether or not we need to have a downgrade. We anticipate two more interest rate hikes this year of 25 basis points each and a couple more next year as well. This shows you that credit ratings previously have been sub-investment grade in South Africa. It's not something we haven't experienced before. Countries don't stop operating when they have got a sub-investment credit rating, but it does make it much harder. And what is different this time around is that our debt is very high, and it's a problem. Since 2009, we have ramped up our debt to GDP from close to 25% to close to 50%. In fact, it's actually just over 50%. Standard & Poor's says that if we incorporate government guarantees of our state-owned entities such as ESKIM, etc., into this metric, and it exceeds 60%, they will definitely put us into sub-investment grade on both of the rankings. So from that perspective, we need to curtail government expenditure. We need fiscal consolidation. On a fiscal deficit point of view, which is your difference between spending and revenue, including interest payments on debt, you can see that that deteriorated very markedly and is yet to come back. Okay, so it's running at 4%, whereas previously we were sub 3%. Globally, sub 3% is seen as fiscally conservative and is what we need to aim to get back to. Interestingly, we probably will. It's more the debt which is problematic for us. So you can see the dilemma. We've got a debt issue, we're spending a bit too much, but we've got very solid institutions in South Africa which actually do require an investment grade rating. We also have got, as you can see from the slide, a number of other possibilities as well which could see us experiencing faster economic growth. So my expected case, as you saw from the scenario slide, is not for a sub-investment grade rating this year or indeed even next year. The down case is for one. And of course, the agencies have also pointed very significantly to the political issues in South Africa. So we are going into election. We do hear a lot of noise before that. But if it translates through into further deterioration of government finances and has a negative impact on our state-owned entities and other issues, that would also be something they would watch closely for a downgrade. What's quite important for us to note is that from a consumer confidence point of view, we are at a low level. You can see we're actually approaching the level of 1985. For those of you who don't recall, that was a debt standstill. We in South Africa was a failed state. We could not repay our debt. And is the extreme down case that we've got in our scenarios. So these types of risks are obviously something to bear in mind quite closely. Household consumption expenditure, you can see, mirrors consumer confidence. And consumers are depressed about the future because they're worried about the economy. They're worried about economic prospects. And that translates through into employment prospects, income prospects, etc. The Reserve Bank says that household consumption expenditure is equivalent to corporate sector income because all corporate sector income in South Africa is deemed to be domiciled in a household somewhere here unless it's exported. So from that perspective, it shows that there is this downward trend that we are experiencing on a broader basis. I'm not going to go through these in too much detail, but certainly savings are low and impairments are high. After-tax income growth has come off quite substantially. You can see households remain highly leveraged in the bottom slide. 
It's a worry because interest rate hikes now have more impact, as you can see from the pale blue line, because debt levels are higher than they would have had in 2002, for example, or in that 2009. So the point I'm really trying to make is that we have to be cautious on an interest rate front, but we haven't essentially been yet. I do want to run through these slides, even though we don't have much time. Something South Africa has been very good at since 1994 has been upward social mobility, which is very important because it basically means the vast majority of households have become wealthier, they've had a better standard of living, and as you can see from these living standard measures calculated, there has been a sharp deterioration in poverty. So people in LSM1, who from an inflation match point of view, are earning around a thousand rand a month. People, many people have fallen out of that category. Previously, there was close to 4.2 million people in 1994. This dropped down to a couple of hundred thousand. And you can see the vast majority of people have migrated into the middle class from a living standard measure perspective. So there obviously are still many who've been left behind, and that does manifest in social protest. Interestingly, this is a global phenomenon. Social protest is happening across the world. It's rising. And you always do tend to get this in a depressed economic condition. So South Africa is not alone. From a Gini coefficient perspective, which measures inequality in our society, you can see there is a reduction when you incorporate the impact of higher taxes. And obviously when you also put in free basic services. People do get a certain amount of electricity or water free every month. Free housing, free education. And of course, social transfers. Basically monetary payments, the child support grant, etc. So South Africa has achieved a lot. The concern is do we continue to achieve and do we continue to see a rise in social mobility when your economy is going through a difficult period? And as we said, social protest is rising and people are going through a more difficult period. Unemployment is rising in South Africa. And obviously the concern is that we have seen national income as a percentage of GDP in real terms or having inflation adjusted taken out. From that perspective that's been falling. So this is the first year it's fallen when we haven't been in a recession and it also underscores the social issues we were talking about just now. Moving on to a table from SARS which shows the income distribution in South Africa. You can see there's a paucity of individuals who earn over half a million rand a year. Indeed you only got about 800,000 people. The vast majority of people adults, as calculated by SARS, earn between zero and 70,000. So what we need in South Africa, obviously, is faster growth and more taxpayers. We need to move people out of this low income level. Government can't do it by itself. We've seen that from Greece. And we obviously need faster private sector growth. Just to close on the private se uh, consumer sector, we certainly have not seen evidence of a bubble in the housing market in South Africa. So from a wealth perspective, it does provide some underpin. And indeed, people with mortgage bonds tend to repay them within 90 days. Okay, but from a macroeconomic perspective, I'm sure this graph makes perfect sense to you. As business confidence deteriorates, as investor sentiment deteriorates, typically we have got weaker economic growth as well. We have got a lot of large infrastructure projects going ahead. As you recall from the start of the presentation, GDP is made up from fixed investment and your consumer as well as your imports and exports. Most of them are government. If you move to the next slide, you can see there's a balance where the mining sector starts to come in. And then if you go through the rest of the slides, obviously the other departments will come in as well, the other areas of the economy. 
Okay, moving forward, South Africa, as we said, has got very strong private sector. I'm not going to go through all of the rankings now, but out of over 140 countries globally, we do exceptionally well. Certainly in terms of business sophistication for an emerging market, that is very significant. So when the global economy recovers, we do anticipate seeing fast economic growth, lifting from our 0.7% we've got this year, rising to two, close to 2.5%. Obviously, faster growth will require those structural changes we mentioned earlier. Okay, this graph gives it to you in a more easily to understand format. It shows that your private business sector continues to outperform, whereas your government sector has lagged terribly on a global comparison from provision of services to people, hence the service delivery protests we often see. Okay. The eight-point plan that we talked about at the start of the presentation, the narrative that envisions a closer working relationship between government and the private business sector is indeed bearing fruit, and our private sector went on the roadshow with National Treasury recently, lifting investor perception towards South Africa and, I think, helping greatly to avoiding the credit rating downgrade from S&P. You can see that there are problematic factors for doing business in South Africa. Please bear in mind this is a global executive survey and it counts because obviously business confidence drives GDP growth, as we talked about earlier. Okay, so the inflexibility of our labor market, ineffective government bureaucracy, inadequate supply of infrastructure, we are making some progress on the electricity front, policy instability and other areas you can look at. There's certainly been a call that we need to see an over-delivery on fiscal consolidation, which could result in higher taxes going forward. And you can see that as one of the constraints in combination with higher interest rates, which does limit our economic growth. We certainly, obviously, need to see improved management of our state-owned entities to relieve the burden on government finances. Accelerated public-private sector partnerships certainly are, have proved very successful in the electricity sector certainly in the renewable sector, and something which our finance minister, Praveen Gordon, looks to be rolled out to other sectors of the economy. Okay, so I'm not going to go through all of the interest of time, but certainly corruption remains a big problem for us in South Africa. And even in terms of the ease of doing business, this has fallen quite substantially. What we obviously need are more small businesses, more entrepreneurship, faster growth, and more employment. When your ease of doing business is falling off, it's not the trend that you want to follow. Interestingly, there's quite a sharp fall off in terms of registering a property and getting things through council. So certainly government needs to look a bit closely on the impediments that are happening there and the inefficiencies. Okay, in terms of the credit rating outlook, you can see our compatriots, should we fall into speculative grade, which are on the right-hand side. Currently our colleagues on an investment grade rating on the low run or on the left. Globally, more investment downgrade, or sorry, more credit rating downgrades are happening as opposed to upgrades. The trend that's happening is not leaving South Africa untouched. We have a negative outlook, that's what I'm trying to say. We could still see a credit rating downgrade. When you move to a stable outlook, that signals that you are probably not going to have one. So we think that the next move from Standard & Poor's will be a downgrade on the local currency front, which is a triple B plus. You saw that in the earlier slide, not on the hard currency front, which is on triple B minus. Triple B minus is your last run. Once we drop that, we fall into sub-investment grade, and we have a substantially higher cost of borrowing, which in turn makes it very much more difficult to consolidate your finances because your debt costs, servicing costs have gone up. Okay. The... Um, 
we've covered most of the rest of the presentation. I'm pretty much out of time. Are there any questions anyone wants to ask? <coughs> any questions? I, um, I just want to ask, do you think it is feasible in future and will it happen that ESCOM could perhaps become privatized? And how would that affect the economy or will it never happen? Okay, so I think in terms of privatization, it's quite important to note that it is quite a political issue. If you look at the Freedom Chart of the ANC, which is essentially its manifesto, it does talk to the nationalization of both the mining sector and the banking sector. It doesn't tripartite alliance with the ANC running South Africa. So from that perspective, it does make it politically a difficult situation. But on a positive note, we have seen the private-public partnerships in the renewable energy sector, which has meant that the private sector has actually taken equity stakes, which in turn is a type of privatization. From that perspective, we actually expect to see more than that moved out from the renewable sector, as Praveen Gordon said in a recent speech, into the actual, um, into a lot more of the electricity sector and even into other infrastructure sectors as well. So the answer to you is a cautious yes, but it's not going to be historical type of privatization where things are just sold off lump sum. That seems unlikely. Any other questions? I'm going to take the last question. Um, to what extent can we use the Brazilian and Russian downgrades as a guide to what a downgrade of our debt would entail? Okay, so I think something to bear in mind about Russia and Brazil is that they are actually failed states. Okay, so getting a credit rating downgrade does not mean you're a failed state. Okay, um, you can still cope and run your economy and not fail if you have a sub-investment grade. What I'm saying is that in Russia and in Brazil, we had huge political turmoil. We've had huge corruption. We basically had a failure in Brazil, certainly, of being able to run an economy. So that's not something we're looking for in South Africa. I think certainly if you had a look at the scenarios, and maybe I didn't spend enough time on them, you can see that from the expected case, we do anticipate that our economy will continue to run. So it's difficult to use Brazil and Russia as examples for us because the reasons that led them to receive their credit rating downgrades are not the same as what we're experiencing. Indeed, that's coming through from the communication of the credit rating agencies who are not downgrading us but actually giving us time to reach fiscal consolidation are, are very cognizant of the global economic slowdown, the negative impact it's had on growth. So certainly, yes, if we do move into the extreme down case, in other words, if we do see rising political interference and populism to the point where we actually see a destruction of the integrity of governance in South Africa and our finances, then yes, Brazil and Russia will become better examples for us. But at the moment, I don't think it's necessarily the path we're going to take and certainly not the aim of government, you know, with Praveen Gordon being appointed as the finance minister with the roadshow that we're on with government stating over and over again that we're doing everything we can to avoid a credit rating downgrade. Well, that's not the path that Brazil took. Thank you very much. I'm going to end the session here. Thank you very much. <laughs>